that I'm going to actually conclude with today is America, what shall we yet do? The question mark, the question that I'm asking certainly myself and asking our congregation today. But I want to arrive at that in that vein just through a process very quickly. I want to talk about ministry just very briefly. Ministry in America today is very um, sometimes complex and is some, certainly diversified. Certain churches seem to have greater success than other churches. So you can certainly see that oftentimes by their parking lots. And um, it seems to me, this is my, my, this is my uh, personal observation, that this is the ministry that has become the primary tool of many of the faster and the, larger growing, the largest growing churches in, in, in our nation. That's personal need-based ministry personal need-based ministry. That's ministry that creates, first of all, an emotional response from people that are presently traumatized in their life situation. Because sometimes it takes having people respond emotionally. We are emotional people. And sometimes it takes casting that hook of emotion to, to, to get a response from somebody. And then many of those churches follow through and they help men and women through faith learn to manage their life situations more effectively. And I'm in no wise throwing a stone at that style of ministry today. I feel that pressure every Sunday. I know that it is necessary at some level in every church. Every church, you can't cut yourself off from the needs of people, from the basic human needs of people. You can't fail to recognize that people come to church with diversities of issues. You know, Paul wrote in the book of Corinthians, if you rejoice, we're going to rejoice with you. If you cry, we're going to cry with you, you know, and we're going to learn to, to adapt. Uh, but, but the reality is, is that style of ministry does not necessarily repair the breach in society that is partially responsible for creating the situation. And the question that I pinned here to ask myself is, why are people coming to church so traumatized in life? You know, often that's what's bringing people back to church in our, in our culture today, is that it's the trauma of life that they begin to look to God and look to the church for some type of assistance. And so... For some, my belief, the trauma is related to the breakdown in the morals, the virtues, and the values in the country. That's just me personally. You know, the reality is, is there is great plight in America. Can we be honest with that today? This is not in the sense in just in the political scheme. I'm just talking about violent crime. I'm talking about drug, the drug addiction, and the, the, the drug-induced culture, the 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 pharmacia spirit that seems to be pervading our culture. That's, this is not something that is just on the east and the west coast. This is right here. This is the stone's throw from our church. Uh, it was just a, not long ago that there was a major crystal meth bust just across the street from our church facility. This is not something that we have to go looking for. This is something that's right here in our midst. People are falling prey to this seductive spirit. We are a, a nation that is being gripped by sexual perversion. And the byproduct of that is in our children, in our children's children. We are a nation that is uh, uh, unfortunately more uh, duly influenced by the entertainment industry than by the church. Is that right today? I'm just telling the truth. We are a nation that unfortunately has fallen prey to seeing many of our large corporations have fraud and, and take from people illegally. And we also see that in the government. Unfortunately, we have seen this. There's a loss of patriotism. There's a loss of family values. 
You know, there's some things that are boiling in the, in the nation right now that will, you will see come to the forefront and not that long from now that's, that's going to have to be dealt with. There is a major, major crisis that's on the border of the United States with this most recent, uh, you know, illegal immigrant uh, push from not, not Mexico but from Nicaragua and from Honduras and some of those places. That's a major thing that's going to be coming forth in the not uh, too distant future that, that's going to affect our nation. We're, we're seeing the rise of Islam in our country and, and it's something that's not just on the TV screen in, uh, you know, in the Middle East. This is something that, that we have dealt with only as terrorism but it's going to be more than just terrorism in the not too distant future and I will probably in the next couple of weeks after Pastor Andre probably address that Islam to help you understand why we deem that such a great threat, not to just the security of the nation, but just to Christian principles and morals. It is the spirit of Antichrist, and, and we will, I will elaborate more on that for you. And, so, and, and there will come a day when a nation that is $18, $19 trillion in debt, there will come a day when those promissory notes will have no value, and there will come a day when it will all have to be settled. And so that, there's a lot. That's, I believe that a lot of the things that have been aforely mentioned are some of the things that are causing the trauma in the lives of people. And so they find themselves not knowing how to deal and how to survive, and so oftentimes they're coming back to the church. And so I feel like though is that what we are seeing is the effect of secular humanism coupled with Christian apathy that's being lived out in our lives and lived out right in front of our eyes in our nation. And I feel like it is partially my responsibility to not simply minister to the effect but also expose and challenge the cause. But I believe that we have to do more than just put the band-aid on the effect but we have to go to the core issue that's right in front of us. And the thing that I, that I feel that I have to balance myself as a pastor is at least twofold. First of all, as I've said, people that are hurting are coming to the church. And then people, oftentimes some get saved and they become a part of the church, but doesn't mean all their plight and their own personal family has suddenly passed away. How many of you know that doesn't always happen? You get saved doesn't mean that all the trauma in your life and family suddenly levels out. And so, but here's something. So I understand that under the sound of my voice are single mothers that are really in, in difficult situations or somebody might be going through a divorce right now. I understand that. And there are those that are recovering from the loss of a loved one or somebody here under the sound of my voice is out of work. You know, whatever the difficult situation that you may be in, let me tell you, as a Christian, that still does not excuse you from your Christian responsibility of being sober, being vigilant, being faithful, and reproving the darkness. Just because you're down, just because you're in a difficult season of your life does not mean that God does not expect you to be sober and vigilant and aware of what's going on culturally around you and reproving the darkness, which is what we are commanded to do in Ephesians chapter number 5. So here's my desire as a pastor. My desire uh, as we celebrate Independence Day, my desire would be to minister to you a stirring, motivating, patriotic, yet deeply spiritual sermon. But here's my problem. I'm acutely aware of the lack of my education and my, my limited vocabulary that will greatly hinder that desire. I believe the product can be slightly and sometimes even desperately lacking. 
You know, I've studied uh, immensely in the latter few uh, days to glean from numerous resources, striving to awaken both uh, national and patriotic and yet sincerely spiritual passions and emotions within my own heart. And it doesn't take much to do so being a, a veteran myself and, 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 and being the son of a veteran and having, uh, you know, a, a great value and appreciation for our country. And so I have relatively been successful. But I also feel this tug inwardly, and I'm just being honest with you today. It's all I can be is honest. I feel, I, I, I still feel the need for a proper balance that must be measured between Christian civic responsibility and my obligation to our nation and the awareness that as a born-again believer, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. As so much as I value being an American citizen, I recognize that in essence, in this side of eternity, I have no citizenship but that which is in heaven. So it's a fine balance that we must, you know, maintain. The scripture says here we have no continuing city, but I am constrained by scripture to value and respect government. And thankfully, by virtue of the freedoms that have been granted to us by our nation's founding fathers, not only can I value and respect government, but I can participate in government. What a privilege that's been granted unto us. Jesus said, render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And then render to God that which belongs to God. So I think that there is a way for us to be able to handle this dutifully, passionately, emotionally, patriotically, and yet deeply spiritual. Does that make sense today? And so it's been said, it has been said, and this is a paraphrase of this quote, the greatest way for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And so I don't want to be found guilty of sitting behind the four walls of this church into somewhat measure of safety and, and in a sanctuary, a place that we deem as a sanctuary, screaming at the darkness and unwilling to shine the light. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the city that should be set on a hill that could not be hid. Come on, we want to see men run to the light so that they can find salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. The reality is this, my constraint is bound to my lack of education and matters that I have deemed too lofty for myself. So there are some things I'm openly confessing to you that I cannot do nor say. But there are some things that I can do. I'm not going to allow my handicap in one area to cripple me totally and completely. I'm going to share with you the things that I can do. So as a spiritual watchman... In America today, as a pastor of this great church family, the first thing that I can do is I can call you to prayer. As ministers, here's my confession, we have failed to both teach you to pray personally and civically and to create enough opportunities for you to diligently intercede for our civil liberties and righteousness as our nation, or righteousness in our nation. Let's go to the screen for 1 Timothy chapter 2 for just a moment. Let's read this passage of Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter number 2, the Apostle Paul is writing, I exhort, look at this, the exhortation from the Apostle, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, verse 2, and for those that are in authority, for kings and all that are in authority, that you and I might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and in honesty. And so as pastors, if we can see this scripture written on the tablet of your heart until it becomes a part of who you are, then when you are frustrated and aggravated with the things that are around you, both in our political scheme and in our culture, we won't feel uh, helpless or hapless. We will feel empowered and moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to 
lock ourselves up in prayer and to trust in the God that promises that when we pray, he will answer. The scriptures today encourage me. Prayer and faith is the, scripture, the, the Christian citizen's right and means to bring change. Scripture gives too many accounts of men and women who have altered the course of human history and greatly affected their nation's culture and political climate by humbly petitioning the name of God. As I read the scriptures, I'm reminded that Abraham's prayer held back the judgment of God on Sodom until it was determined there was not a single additional righteous man living in that wicked city other than Lot and his family. When I read the scriptures, I find that Moses' humbled prayer of intercession prevented the wrath of God from consuming even the nation of Israel when they had made a golden calf and bowed down before it and during the days of the Exodus. Scripture records Deborah's prophetical prayer that led to the defeat of the Canaanites. And all of us are familiar with Elijah who had the power and the potency in his prayer that he could lock heaven closed of rain for three and a half years and only at his word would it be unlocked. And then with his head bowed over between his knees high on Mount Carmel, he prayed and he asked God to send rain. And in a matter of a few moments, a cloud that had been invisible and unseen to the natural eye begins to roll across the Mediterranean Sea until God began to pour rain on the parched earth. Uh, our scriptures are filled with men and women that move in the power of prayer and affect the culture and the climate of their nation in which we live. Hezekiah faced the intimidation of the Assyrian army, threatening to destroy the city of Jerusalem like the other cities that they had tackled previously. And he received a letter of intimidation and accusation and military threat. And he took it and he unscrolled it out in the courts of God. And he lifted his eyes and his hands toward God. And he said, God, look at these accusations. You have promised that you would intercede and intervene on our behalf and that very night an angel of war went through the camp of the Assyrians and the next morning 185,000 warriors of Assyria lay dead and God delivered ancient Israel. Oh we ought to believe God today. I know things are difficult. I know there's frustration in your heart and mind but God is still able. Come on he is able to do if we will believe him. Daniel defied the king's edict to not pray. By praying three times a day, looking to eastward towards Jerusalem. And it was his prayer that caused him to be thrown into a lion's den. But it was his prayer that while in that lion's den caused God to send an angel to shut the mouth of that lion. Come on, somebody. And the next morning when the king rolled the stone away, looking and expecting to find nothing but the clothes of Daniel and parts of his body scattered around the floor, there's Daniel petting the lions on the top of the head, confessing that the God of all gods, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords has preserved his life through his prayer. And you know what the king did? The king promoted Daniel in the kingdom and took the men that had given the edict and put them in the same lions den and those lions destroyed destroyed both them and their families. Uh, let me tell you, I know there's a lot of things going on, but I believe God today. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it's not coming nigh unto me because my faith and my hope and my trust is in the Lord. Come on, he said, I will not slumber and I will not sleep. He that keepeth Israel keeps us as well. Glory to God. Nehemiah prayed and said, God, give me favor. I want to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When I petitioned the king, just give me favor. And when the king responded, he said, not only am I going to send you, Nehemiah, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pay for the entire adventure. Come on, that's God moving the government like that to pay for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Peter was shut up in prison about to be executed 
uh, Herod had killed James, the brother of John. He intended to kill Peter. The next morning, Peter was shut up in prison. But an all-night prayer meeting by saints just like you was petitioning the heart of God. God sent an angel and brought him out. And it wasn't very long before the Herod that was going to kill Peter would die himself under the judgment of God. Paul would write from a jail cell and he was confident of his soon release because of this. He said, I trust that I will soon be delivered to you because of your prayers. This is the most famous of all, perhaps, Solomon. Jojo shared it with us on Wednesday night as we prayed here at the altar. In 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, Solomon had prayed these words and, and, and it's being echoed back by the voice of God. If my people who are called by my name Come on, we got to do more than complain. Come on, somebody. Come on, we got to do more than just sit around the coffee shop talking about what might be or this or that. We need to lock ourselves up in prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then God said, will I hear from heaven and I will heal the land. Come on, somebody. Amen. You know, I've studied just a little bit. There's a couple of stories that have just been in my spirit deeply, things that I've known of the past, and many of our founding fathers. You know, our founding fathers were men of prayer. And, you know, the, I, I pen these words, our founding fathers gave birth to this nation through the vigilance of prayer. Shall we not reclaim this nation through the vigilance of prayer? You know, our mind is filled with the images of General George Washington and Valley Forge praying for the protection in the hand of God. But I want to share with you just real quickly a story that has ministered to me over the years as I've contemplated the words of Benjamin Franklin at the time of the, uh, the constitutional, uh, uh, um, what covenant, not, what's the word, not covenant, convention, the constitutional covenant where they had come together for many weeks after the independence, after the war has been fought and they're determining to establish the, 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 the constitution of the United States. For weeks and weeks they had sat there and argued amongst themselves until frustration was so great. And it was Benjamin Franklin to ask for a right to speak and he stood. He was the, the eldest of all the statesmen, 81 years of age. He was deeply respected. And these are his words that have been captured. It says, the small pro-, he writes and he speaks to Mr. President. He says, the small progress that we have made after four or five weeks, close attendance and continual reasonings with each other. Our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing as many no's as a's, is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom. Some we have been running about in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for models of government, and we have examined the different forms of those republics which having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe, but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? He said, in the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us were engaged in the struggle, must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind of providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national philosophy. And we have now, have we 
we now forgotten that powerful friend? He said, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred white writings that except the Lord build the house, they will labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to the future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments be, hu be human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. Thus his request, I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Uh, sincerely, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, they believed that they needed the hand of God. And I want you to know today, as frustrated as I find myself at times, and I know you feel the same sentiments, I believe God today, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. And so if our founding fathers could not give birth to this nation without prayer, then you and I will certainly not be able to reclaim this nation without prayer. I challenge you, I challenge you to become one who prays for the sanctity and the safety and the repentance that's necessary in this land of America. Amen? Number two, just giving you four little nuggets today of the things that I can do, limited by certain areas and perhaps by this one more than the others. Number two, I believe we need to reprogram and re-educate. Because our, as I say this, I am acutely aware and deeply appreciative of the men and women that are a part of our church and the many other churches that are in the public educational system. And you are salt and light. You are ambassadors for Christ, and you know that Pastor Brown prays with you because many of you have taught my children, and I thank God for the influence that you have made. But our public educational system has been stolen by the secular humanist. It's been stolen right away from us. Our public school system in the, context is, in the context of creationism has been replaced by humanistic evolution. And we're seeing the byproduct lived out every day as men and women no longer value human life. We have not been taught with any accuracy the reality of our Christian heritage. We have been led to believe that we are a democracy. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic and there is a great difference between the two. Please educate yourself. We have been told that we do not need the morals and the values of the Christian faith. That's what we've been told. 
But John Witherspoon was another of our founding fathers. He was one of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was the only clergyman of the lot. There were 23 of the 56 that had an education in theology, but he was the only one that had gone into actual ministry. He writes this, It is the man of piety and inward principle that we may expect to find the uncorrupted patriot, the useful citizen, and the invincible soldier. God grant that in America, true religion and civil liberty may be inseparable and that the unjust attempts to destroy the one may in the issue tend to the support and the establishment of both. James Madison, who was the chief architect of the Constitution, said these words. Notice the parallel that we're about to make. He said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government. Thank God for that. Far from it. But we have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves and to control ourselves and to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Now, how odd would it be that in 1980, the Supreme Court of the United States of America would rule that it is no longer, it is, it is unconstitutional for the Ten Commandments to hang on the walls of a classroom. Since, citing their reason, the students might be led to read them, meditate upon them, respect them, and or obey them. Wouldn't that be a shame? Here's what I feel. I feel cheated. I feel robbed, defrocked. Stripped of a true education in the motive, the purposes, and the practices of our founding fathers concerning their faith in Christ, their belief in America, and America's need for Christian truth and principles to be taught and followed. Here's what the present American culture wants today. They want the fruit, which is prosperity and blessing, but they do not want the root, which is faithful obedience to the Scriptures. That's our dilemma that we're having today. If it were not for someone like Phil Grace coming to me and saying, Pastor Brown, let's go, let's do our best to try to re-educate our church family and exposing us to the American Heritage Series. Even I, Pastor Brown, would be so oblivious to some of the things that have happened in the context of even ministry. When you see how that so many of the founding fathers gained their strength, gained their, gained their uh, uh, inspiration from the pulpits of America. The black robe regimen charged the men to come forward and to lead the separation from the tyranny of Great Britain. See, you and I today, we believe in the need for civil government. In Romans 13, let's put it on the screen, verses 1 through 7. I want to reaffirm this to you today, that we believe in the need for civil government, as the Apostle Paul writes. He says, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. How many believe God has ordained civil government? Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God. Not that there are not times when you have to throw off tyranny. We understand that that sometimes is the case. But God destined those to be for the good of man. But evil men sometimes corrupt the institution. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works. That's the intention by God, the intention. Remember what David wrote in 2 Samuel 22? He that will rule among men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. 
And so rulers should not be a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Verse 4, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Verse 5, therefore you must be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause, we pay tribute, we pay taxes, we reluctantly pay taxes. Let me say that again. We reluctantly at times pay taxes. But at the same time, we pay taxes because we know that there's a need for civil government. Come on. They are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Seventh verse, lastly. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. The apostle Paul exhorts the Christians of his era to support civil government. Oddly enough, Rome is who he is in that odd. One of the most, at that time, wicked. But still the entity, the entity itself can have favor or it can have cursing. It can have blessing or cursing. Psalm 33 and 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. How many believe that's a promise of blessing upon people who humble themselves and recognize our dependency on the Lord, our dependency upon the Lord? But Psalms 9 and 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And so here we are once again in betwixt two. Blessing if we humble ourselves... The favor of God, if we humble ourselves, are being cursed if we reject God. The founding fathers quoted the scriptures more often in their writings than any other source. Close examination of the writings of the founding fathers found that of all the people, places, books, and literature that they quoted from, 34% they quoted directly from the word of God. It was their knowledge of, their value of, and their love for the scriptures that empowered them to give us first the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. Did you know Isaiah 33 and 22 was a key scripture in the heart and mind of the founding fathers? James Madison records that it was here that they gleaned the three branches of government, the executive, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch because Isaiah 33 and 22 says the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. And so we see these men were so deeply astute in the knowledge of the word of God and they gave us these entities that have given us the freedoms that we now so delicately possess. And so you and I must begin to educate and re-educate ourselves and our children, both in the scriptures and in the history of our nation and the role that this church has played and must play to secure the blessing of God. Number three today, very quickly, I challenge you. What can you do? What can I do? We can become proactive. First and foremost, it begins with voting. Did you know about 50% of the church votes, but about 99% complain? Come on now. Say, Pastor, where'd you get those facts? I just made them up. It felt good. (laughs) Felt right. I'm around you. I know. And I'm part of the 99%, but I'm also part of the 50% that does vote. Come on, somebody. So here, let me say this. Out of apathy, we're failing to vote. Your non-involvement is silencing the voice of the church. Did you hear that today? I've said it all along that if the church would just come together in one united voice, it would just take one generation and we could repair the breach. Come on, somebody, wouldn't it? If we could just see a revival in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I want to encourage you, take a stand on at least one major moral issue. Come on, recently I responded to the constant barrage of homosexual propaganda that we have been pressured to accept and affirm. I had to start somewhere. And so you have to start somewhere as well. There are things that you can do. You can help a drug rehab center. You can support Teen Challenge. You can minister at the county jail. You can help the right to life. Are y'all hearing me today? Mordecai asked Esther when Esther was afraid to lift her voice up. Mordecai, her uncle, said, Esther, he said, if you remain silent at this time, I'm going to believe deliverance will come to the Jews from another source. But he said, we're going to just believe that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. If ever there was a time in the midst of the confusion and the frustration and the division that's in our nation today, if ever there was a time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise and be strong, bold, to be filled with the brightness of the love of God and the light of the truth of Scripture, men are groping in darkness. What they need is the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to lighten their way. That's what men and women need. You and I have the answer. Don't sit quiet in the back of the coffee room when people are tearing down the principles upon which we need to build the foundation of our, of our nation. Lift up your voice. Be the John the Baptist of your generation. Let the anointing of God fall upon you. If you have to reprove, you reprove. To God be the glory. Only when we reprove can people be convicted of sin. And lastly today in closing, I charge you this day not knowing of every person in the audience, not knowing of every person that will listen online or that will receive a CD of this particular sermon. I charge you to come out of two churches that are in the church today or that are in the America. First, come out of the apathetical church. Come out of the apathetical church that is the church that is not concerned and not involved. Many of you say, well, Jesus is coming in the rapture. What does it matter? It matters. It matters. You know what Jesus said about his coming? Don't worry about my coming. Occupy till I come. Get busy. Roll your sleeves up. Get involved. Make a difference in somebody's life. Your activity is Christian routine and motion. It is nothing more than passive religious movement that is a stench in the nostrils of God. Are you a part of the church that is too accommodating to reprove its cultural morals? I'm not going to be a part of that church. I'm also calling men and women out of the apostate church as well. The apostate church is the church that appears righteous, but they have a form of godliness, but they do not have a true experience, conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit, and a revelation of the true delivering power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the church that affirms what Scripture condemns. That's the church that has no true anointing nor accurate understanding of the Scriptures. That's the church that John said they went out from us, but they were not of us. Come on, I'm not holding hands with everybody and singing kumbaya. Come on, I know I want to be only standing with men and women that my heart is knit together in faith and love. And that's men and women that believe in the basic tenets of faith. Uh, we still believe in one God eternally existing in three persons. We still believe in the sin of men. We still believe in the fall of Adam. We believe that the only way to heaven is through personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe your redemption is not bound uh, to your works, but it is bound only to the work of Jesus Christ when he spilled his blood on the cross of Calvary. You and I are sinners in need of a Savior, and if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we will be translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son. Our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. We are today pilgrims and strangers on a journey. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. Onward, Christian soldier. March for the glory of Almighty God.
Hallelujah. So I'm calling men and women today, be a part of the apostolic church, not the apathetic or the apostate, but the apostolic church that has a distinct calling and anointing on the power of the Holy Spirit. A church where there is preaching and teaching that does not condemn, but it does convict sin. If there's sin in your life, I pray that you are under the power of conviction. For it is under the power of conviction that we pray ourselves through to repentance. We must be a church that is determined to be salt and light. A church that understands spiritual warfare and rightly discerns the work of Satan in the lives of men and women. Come on. There are three churches in America. The apathetical church, the apostate church, and the apostolic church. I want to be a part of the apostolic church. Don't you, church family? So today, I close with the question. America. I am thankful to be an American today. I am. I mean that sincerely. And I know that you do as well. I'm thankful today for a rich history. Is it stained in places? Absolutely. What nation has not been stained in places? Has she tripped in places? Absolutely. But has America been a beacon of light to men and women caught in the vice of tyranny? Despotic monarchs, brutal totalitarian governments, crushing the life stream of men and women. America was an idea in the hearts of men, hearts of women, that men could live free, governed by the dictates of their conscience as that conscience gets exposed to the light of Scripture. So today, what America needs is a true spiritual revival. That's what we need, church family. We need a revival, for that revival will then lead to a reformation. Right? Peter said, if judgment begins at the house of God, where shall the ungodly and the unrighteous appear? I pray that America will not become a byword to the nations. Having fallen prey to the consumption of lust from within. We need to be a church that casts the light of the love of Jesus Christ that stands on principle, but reaches out in faith and hope and love and grace, trusting in the Lord and believing God, that God will have his hand of favor and grace upon our nation. Does that make sense today, church family? Would you all stand with me in closing this morning in the name of Jesus? This old song says these words, My country, tis of thee. It's the sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. It's the land where my fathers died. It's the land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. Our fathers, God, to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright. Let's turn this song into a prayer with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God and our King. O beautiful for spacious skies, it's for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, would you pray this with me right now? God, Shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea.
to shining sea. Our heads are bowed in humble prayer today as a thankful congregation for rights and privileges that have been given to us sacrificially by the blood of men and women, their faith and their willingness to believe in freedom. Our prayer today, Father, in the name of Jesus, first is in humility. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God, today I judge no man but myself. Will you judge yourself with me today? If there's sin in your life, then right now is the time, right now is the moment to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you. If you're living in sin and you're living away from God, then today I humbly beseech you in the name of Jesus that you would just simply surrender yourself to Christ. Repent of thy sins and God will wash you clean by the washing of his precious blood. Today we put our faith and our trust in you. Today, God, we humble ourselves as a people. We humble ourselves as a church. We pray today, Father, we are acutely aware, my Father, vigilantly, soberly aware of the trauma that's around us. Trauma that's penetrating our homes, that's come to steal, kill, and to destroy. The addictions, the perversions, the form of godliness, the religious institutions, Father, that are affirming things that you have condemned. God, we see these things going on all around us, Father God, but we know at the same time, Father, you can move miraculously and mightily in our midst. You can raise up a people out of the ashes, Father. If you could bring Israel back from Babylon, Father, then you can bring people in our culture back from their apostate condition that they, many find themselves in today. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for our citizens, the men and women that we work with every day. Would y'all pray with me? We're turning God's house into a house of prayer. This is our altar call. This is our invitation. There's no organ playing, no song, no stringed instrument. This is just you and I praying. We're interceding and undergirding. We're praying right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Your word says today, Father, that intercessions giving of thanks be made for all those that are in authority. We pray for every man, woman that's been elected to office or appointed to those offices. Father, we acknowledge that many of these hearts are apostate. Some of these are even under the spirit of Antichrist, God. We recognize that today, God. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we're asking that you turn the hearts of men and women to you, God. That Father, even men and women that may be in an apostate condition can still be used Father, to make good and right decisions, God. For we remember how that you turned Pharaoh or you used Nebuchadnezzar, God. So, Father, we uh, do not lose hope. We believe that you can even steal. Your word says, Father, that you hold the heart of the king in your hand and whithersoever you may, you might turn it. So we ask, O oh God, that you would turn the hearts, uh, Father God, of leaders unto biblical principles and biblical truths uh, so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. We pray that father today in this room in this church family god and lastly today father we pray for the men and women father god that are wearing the uniform of the united states military father wherever they would be father in the name of jesus father god no matter who they are what they are and where they are god the fight for freedom father god the the, the ongoing conflict against terrorism father 
the, the many-sided, Father God, issues that they face on a daily basis and even perversion and distortion from within, Father. God, our prayer, our prayer is for them. And we pray that you would preserve them, Father, in the name of Jesus. So today, God, as a pastor of a, of a wonderful church, Father, we pray we're small in number, but we pray that we're great in passion, we're great in heart, and that we will find our place We will do what we can, God. Let the spirit of Esther rest upon us, God. Let us seize our moment, do what we need to do, make a difference on behalf of our kinship. God, we pray that today. It's a simple prayer offered in faith.